Well, we are starting a two-part message series today called Simply Grateful. Grateful. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be a grateful person. And as a part of this series, you won't want to miss next week. Thursday night and Sunday next week, you will want to be here for one of our services. I am so excited about it, I can hardly stand it. We believe God is calling us to do something really big, to change lives and to change a community in a huge way. And if we're going to do it, we need you to be a part of it. We need everyone to be a part of it. And you will not want to miss it. It is going to be one of the biggest things we've ever done here at Impact. And if you think I'm going to tell you what it is, you're wrong. Next week, we will tell you all about it. If you come on Thursday night, you'll be one of the first to to hear. And so uh, I hope that you will be here. But today, we kick off this grateful series, and I want to uh, be known as a grateful person. And I want you to know that being grateful is more than just a nice idea or a polite thing to do. It's biblical. We handed out several weeks ago these bracelets. Many of you are wearing these bracelets. We challenged you to pray every day at 3.30 for impact and for our ministry here. If you didn't get a bracelet yet, they're in baskets at the doors and uh, you can pick one up. And uh, we challenge that. But on this bracelet, there's a scripture and the scripture is really significant. Here's what it says. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so, being grateful isn't just a nice way to live, it's literally God's will for you. It's God's will for you to be grateful in all circumstances. And what we're grateful for might change based on our perception. Here's a letter a mom received from her daughter who was in college. This is before email and stuff, but here's the letter she received. Dear mom, sorry I haven't written sooner. My arm really has been broken. I broke it and my left leg when I jumped out from the second floor of my dormitory when we had the fire. We were lucky. A young service station attendant saw the blaze and called the fire department. They were there in minutes. I uh, was in the hospital for a few days. Paul, the service station attendant, came to see me every day. And because it was taking so long to get our dormitory livable again, I moved in with him. He's been so nice. I must admit that I'm pregnant Paul and I plan to get married just as soon as he can get a divorce. I hope things are fine at home. I'm doing fine, and we will write more when we get a chance. Love always your daughter, Susie. P.S. None of the above is true, but I did get a C in sociology, and I flunked chemistry. I just wanted you to receive this news with a proper perspective. The proper perspective often helps us be grateful even in situations that are not ideal. I want to be a grateful person. I want to notice 
and appreciate the blessings in my life and the nice things that people do for me. And that goes beyond saying thank you. That goes beyond writing thank you notes. Being grateful is more than just being polite. It's a way of life, a way of living your life that notices the good and is thankful and takes action. But there are some barriers to being a grateful person. Let me list four. The first is dissatisfaction. It's a principle that's so simple that we quite often overlook it. I can't be grateful for what I have when I'm constantly wanting more and new and better and nicer things. And most advertisements are designed to convince us that what we have isn't good enough, that it isn't nice enough. I can't be grateful and dissatisfied at the same time. I just can't be. The next barrier to being a grateful person is entitlement. This is an attitude that says, I deserve what I have. In fact, I deserve more than what I have. And uh, it's really hard to be grateful for things that you think that you're entitled to. You might think that you're entitled because you work hard or because the government should provide it or because you are the customer and after all, the customer is always right. But if you feel entitled, you will never feel grateful. Another barrier is negativity. And negativity is really the outgrowth of entitlement. When we think we deserve better or that we could do better uh, at it than the people around us, then we tend to become really critical. It's an easy trap to fall into. We are so quick to notice what's wrong. We have never, most of us have never run a restaurant or a retail store or driven a semi-truck. But if you listen to us talk, we think we know better how to do those jobs than the people who are actually really doing them. And the problem with our sports teams, apparently, apparently the problem with our sports teams is the players who really could do it right the people who really could manage the team correctly won't put down their pizza and get up from their couch and actually go out on the field. <laughs> and this happens in church too. Some of the things said to the volunteers in our cafe or the notes written on welcome cards are really far more critical than encouraging. It's pretty hard to be grateful when you're constantly complaining. It's hard to be grateful when you're constantly complaining. The last one is busyness or carelessness. And this may be the most common barrier to gratitude. We, we just get so busy that we're so careless and we just forget to be grateful. Or we get accustomed to the good things in our lives and we get so accustomed to the good things that we stop even noticing them. We are so busy and surrounded by so many good things in our life that we just kind of move through life in this careless, ungrateful fog. And we need to learn to be grateful, just to slow down enough to take the time to appreciate the good things in our lives and to express gratitude for them. The Bible tells us about this amazing event that happened in the life of Jesus. Ten guys with leprosy come to Jesus and they ask to be healed. Now, you have to understand a little bit about the disease 
and a little bit about how they viewed leprosy in that time to really catch the full story. Leprosy was a disease where the, sin, the skin literally starts decaying and literally the body begins to destroy itself and it begins to fall apart. It was thought in Jesus' day to be highly contagious and society at the time separated the people with leprosy from everyone else. They separated them from their families and from their jobs and from their churches. And if a person with leprosy was walking somewhere and someone was coming towards them the other way and getting close to them, then the person with leprosy was required to yell, unclean, 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 which of course would be embarrassing and humiliating and if by chance they got better which didn't happen very often they were required to go to the priest to be inspected by the priest to make sure that they were disease free and if they were the priest would declare them clean clean so these 10 guys with leprosy these 10 guys who have been isolated from their families, these 10 guys who are outcasts from society come to Jesus and they ask him to heal them. And Jesus very simply tells them to go to the priest and be inspected. Now here's the interesting part. Apparently when they leave Jesus to go to the priest, they still had leprosy. Their bodies were still racked with the disease. Now here's a sideline. Often God waits for us to take a step of faith before he moves. We see this over and over again in scripture and I've seen this in my own life as well. So they ask Jesus to heal, him, heal them. He says okay, go see the priest and they head off. Maybe head off isn't a good term when you're talking about guys with leprosy. I don't know. So they leave and they go see the priest, and their bodies are still wrapped with disease. And somewhere between where Jesus was and where the priest is, they're healed. The leprosy is gone. All ten guys are healed. I wonder what it was like. I wonder what it was like. I mean, not to be gross, but some of them were missing body parts. They were missing fingers and ears and toes. And when they were healed, did the healing just affect the areas that were currently infected? I don't think so. I don't think God does things halfway. I think suddenly they have their fingers back and their toes back and their ears back. I, I'm betting that when the priest was inspecting them, he was inspecting men who didn't have any sign whatsoever that they had ever suffered from leprosy. But look at this verse because it really is the point. Luke chapter 17, verses 15 and 17. When one of them discovered that he was healed, he came back shouting praises to God. He bowed down at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. The man was from the country of Samaria. Jesus asked... Weren't ten men healed? Where are the other nine? Hmm. Only one out of ten came back. Now, does that mean that the other nine 
weren't grateful, that they weren't thankful that Jesus healed them? I don't think so. I'm sure that they were overjoyed. I'm sure that they were grateful. They were just so anxious to get home to their families. They were just so anxious to resume their lives that they didn't take the time to thank Jesus. They were just careless and busy. And they just didn't think about it. Let me ask you, how many times are you in the group of nine who get too busy to show appreciation? How many, are you, how many times are you in that group of nine rather than the one in ten who comes back to say thank you? I want to be a grateful person. I want to be the one in ten who shows gratitude. And that means that I need to learn to make it a lifestyle. And a grateful person is generous. They see their blessings and they want to generously share those blessings with others. They will want to uh, take their blessings and pay it forward, which is a concept where people who have received a kindness show kindness to someone else as a way of repaying the kindness. And you may have thought that that concept came from a really old movie, but we see that principle in Scripture. In fact, we see it in the life of David, you know, of David and Goliath fame. David, who is one of the most popular people in the Bible. If you remember, he was anointed king of Israel while Saul was still king. And he served Saul. He served as a servant of Saul while he was waiting to become the next king. And Saul got jealous and tried to kill David several times. And David, in the process, established this great friendship with Jonathan, uh, uh, Saul's son, who should have become the next king. And David waited many years, and he suffered through a lot. And then Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, and David officially became king. Now, the normal thing in that day for the new king to do would be to find any surviving family member of the previous king and kill them. That was common. But that isn't what David did. Look at the statement he makes in 2 Samuel 9. David asked, is anyone still left in Saul's family? I want to show kindness to that person for Jonathan's sake. I want to show kindness to that person for Jonathan's sake. He wanted to extend the generosity that Jonathan had shown to him. So they searched the country and they found Mephibosheth. Now, some of you really like to use Bible names for your kids. There's one for you, Mephibosheth. Haven't met a lot of little baby Mephibosheths, but Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, and he was crippled. And David had them bring Mephibosheth to the palace, and he asked him to live there with him. And David treated Mephibosheth like his own son. And his statement is really a good one for grateful people. I mean, that might bring a question for us. Ask yourself, is there anyone I should show kindness to for Jesus' sake? Is there anyone I should show kindness to for Jesus' sake? Jesus has blessed us so much, and it's only right that we should show kindness to others as a tribute to him. 
we can express our gratitude for Jesus and for the kindness that we have received from others by extending kindness and generosity to others. Now, how do I become a grateful, generous person? What does that look like? Well, let's use some of the wisdom of the Bible to help us become grateful and generous people. Let's spend the the rest of our time looking at this. If you want to be a grateful, generous person, first of all, remember what belongs to you. Remember what belongs to you. People who are grateful and generous don't talk about their possessions. They don't talk about their things because they remember what really belongs to them. Now, do you think that you know what really belongs to you? Have you done an inventory? Let me give you two biblical facts about ownership. Here's the first one. He owns me. He owns me. The Bible is clear. God owns you and God owns me. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You do not belong to yourselves because you were bought by God for a price. So honor God with your bodies. My life belongs to him because he created me and he paid the price for my sins by dying on the cross to forgive me. He paid the price so he owns me. He owns me. Now, even if you haven't made the choice to follow God, even if you haven't chosen to let him be the leader of your life, he still owns you. I mean, he still got to determine the day that you were born, and he will get to determine the day that you die. And someday, when you die, on your tombstone, there'll be two dates, the day that you were born and the day that you die. And the only thing you get to control is that little dash in between. That's what your life is. It's just the dash in between two dates. And I can pretend to be in charge, but the fact of the matter is, he owns me. Here's the second fact about ownership. He owns everything else. It's very simple. He owns me. He owns everything else. Everything I have belongs to God. Everything you have belongs to God. And if you don't believe me, just ask yourself one question. How much of what you have will you get to take with you when you die? Now, do you know what I'm going to leave when I die? You know how much I'm going to leave? All of it. All of it. I don't get to take any of it with me. And uh, it all belongs to God. And that's exactly what the Bible says. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy Uh, 6 verse 7 after all we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave now it may seem a little depressing to you that you don't own anything that it all belongs to God but knowing this and really understanding this allows you to become a generous person if I said to you today Uh, Let's just say, Nikki, I want you to give $100 to everybody in this room today. I want you to be generous, give $100 to every person in this room. She might think, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. But what if I said a billionaire stopped by and left stacks of money in the office and I handed Nikki a million dollars in cash And I said, give everybody $100 and then go be really generous 
with the rest of it. I mean, I want you to express gratitude by being generous to everybody. I mean, it, it's easy to be generous with somebody else's money. It's, it's really easy to be generous. I mean, you would give the best tip of your life at the restaurant today if you were tipping with somebody else's money. We would hand it out freely. We would change lives of people who are really struggling. And that's what happens when I'm generous with what God has given to me. I give to others in need, and I give to the church, and I loan my cars and my tools and my house. It's so much easier to be generous when I remember it isn't mine. It's not my stuff. It's not my money that I'm giving. I don't own it. And in the Old Testament, again, David said this about giving, and it makes so much sense. Look at what he said in 1 Chronicles 29. But why should we be happy that we have given you these gifts? They belong to you, and we have only given back what's already yours. It's easy to be generous when I understand that what I have doesn't belong to me. I can't be proud of what I give to God because I'm only giving back what's already His. Secondly, if you want to be a grateful and a generous person, go beyond the minimum. Go beyond the minimum. The difference between an ungrateful person and a grateful person is an ungrateful person is usually trying to do the minimum. They're trying to do the least that they can to get by. They want to do what they have to do and no more. But the grateful, generous person is always trying to figure out how they can do more, how they can go beyond the minimum. In the Bible, the leaders of the church at one point were taking a special offering to provide food for people who were suffering through a famine in their area. And the church in Corinth had promised to send a special offering but they hadn't kept their commitment. And Paul writes them a letter, and he wants them to keep the promised financial commitment that they made. But as he's talking to them about it, he talks about some other people who gave, some other people who, make, who made a commitment. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about those people. These believers have been tested by great troubles, and they are very poor, but their great joy caused them to be very generous in their giving. I can tell you that they gave as much as they were able and even more than they could afford. No one told them to do this. It was their idea. Their great joy, their gratefulness caused them to be generous. They not only went beyond the minimum, but they gave more than they could afford to give. And being a grateful, generous person will show in what you give financially. But it will also be more than that. Being a generous person affects other areas of your life too. Write this down. Generous people say yes more than they say no. Generous people say yes more than they say no. Generous people uh, say yes more than they say no to serving and volunteering and giving their time and service. They say yes more than they say no to helping others around them with problems and with needs and repairs. They say yes more than they say no to listening to people who are hurting. It's another key difference between being grateful and being an ungrateful person. Ungrateful people are really great at setting boundaries. 
They're really great at setting their boundaries. I mean, they set their limits well, and usually they set their limits low. They focus on what they need and what they want rather than the, uh, what others need, and they end up saying no a lot. They say no when they're asked to serve and no when they're asked to help a person in need and no when they're asked to give. They figure out the minimum and they say no to the rest. But grateful people are different. Grateful people try to find a way to say yes. They are so grateful for people who have helped them and blessed them and influenced them that they want to pay it forward. They want to say yes to whatever they can do to bless other people. Sure, grateful people have to say no sometimes. We all do. But they say yes more often than they say no. Grateful, generous people are the ones who are serving as volunteers here today. They're the ones that volunteer here every week. They have busy schedules too. They have lives too, but they've figured out how to say yes, and they're also the ones who give regularly and consistent offerings to our church. They can't afford it any more than you can. They're just grateful, and they have made cuts in other areas so that they can say yes to giving. And at impact, we don't just want a church full of generous people. We want to be a generous church, and I think we are. I think we are. We have shown generosity in so many ways. A few years back, we packed 75,000 meals for hungry people in Haiti, and we have built houses several times on our parking lot for families who need homes, and we have helped uh, many, many people over the years financially with their financial needs. We do a lot to be a generous church. And a few years ago, when we did our Unstoppable campaign, We did that so that we could be an even more generous church. We bought this building and we opened it up as a community center during the week as a gift to our community, a place where they could build relationships with other people in our community. And some people seem to think we make a lot of money on this building, you know, with concerts and baby showers and birthday parties. We don't. Your offerings literally provide thousands of dollars a month to support this community center so that we can provide this place as a gift to our community. Yes, we lose money every single month on our community center, but we feel it's what God has called us to do because we're a generous church. But as part of our Unstoppable, we budgeted in some money to do a big project somewhere else in the world. And while we were praying about what we should do, I was invited on a trip to Brazil with a couple of organizations to see a possible project. And um, on that trip, I saw two buildings. I think you're going to see some pictures behind me, both of which served as churches on the weekend and child development centers during the week. And they were different based on the amount of property that they had to build on, but both were serving about 200 children and their families in their specific very, very poor communities. Here I am with some of the group that I traveled with and with pastors and volunteers from uh, the first church that you saw the picture of. And here I am with some of the kids at the other church or child development center that uh, we visited. And the organizations that invited me on the trip asked us to consider funding a new church building in Brazil. And after praying, our leadership team and our missions team decided that this was a big project that God wanted us to do. 
that he was calling us to do with our unstoppable money. And it seemed right for several reasons. It seemed right because we're a church with a community center and they're building a similar concept uh, to bless the community. And it seemed right because we're passionate about kids and families and so are they. And we have a good group of uh, people from Brazil. They're in this service. We translate this service every week into Portuguese for uh, our uh, friends from Brazil. And so there's that Brazilian connection. And so we decided we should do it. We decided we should do it. The only problem was we were somewhat short on cash from our Unstoppable campaign because commitments didn't come in as well as expected. And so we ask you to be generous, and you have been. So in May of this year, we sent $87,000 to fund the building of a church in Santa Rita, Brazil. And I want to show you some pictures of that under construction. This right here is the site that it was built on. And the next picture will show you how they lay foundations apparently in Brazil. And uh, then the walls have begun to go up. And one more picture from the outside. You're see, they're using every inch of this property to be a church and a future child development center. And way to go for being generous. Way to go church. And you know... It would have been really easy and even logical to say, we didn't reach our goal, so we can't do it. But generous people and generous churches go beyond the minimum. They say yes more than they say no. In fact, when you think about it, you really haven't become generous until you go beyond the minimum. You really haven't even started to be generous until you go beyond the minimum. The minimum is what's expected. It's what you have to do. Generosity starts after you've gone beyond the minimum. Giving 10% or the tithe is what the Bible teaches as the starting place for uh, people in their giving. And so generosity starts with the offerings I give above and beyond 10%. Doing your part and volunteering for an hour or two is expected when you belong to a church or an organization. But changing your schedule to serve for several hours per week or to change your schedule to help your neighbor with a home project or uh, doing something way out of the ordinary that affects your schedule is more than expected and that's when you become generous when you go beyond the minimum generous people go beyond the minimum when they give time or they use their skills or they give their money one last one if you want to be a grateful generous person find ways to bless others find ways to bless others grateful people understand just how much God has blessed them. He has blessed us by saving us from our sin. And he has blessed us by giving us all of the good things in our life. That's what the Bible says. All good and perfect gifts come from God. He has blessed us by letting us live in a great country. By giving us a great church. By giving us so many wonderful people to do life with. And God has blessed us so that we can bless others. He has blessed us so that we can bless others. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at what it says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort 
God has given us. God comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort others when they're in trouble. Please understand the concept here. Please understand what this scripture says. Whatever blessing God has given you, whatever help he has given you in your time of trouble, he expects you to use to bless other people. He expects you to use that to bless others. If he provided someone to comfort you when you had a loss in your family, you need to be there to comfort someone else in their time of loss. If he provided people to walk with you through a divorce or through unemployment or through tough times with your job, you need to be helping others in the same situation. Grateful, generous people will understand that they have been blessed to be a blessing. You've been blessed to be a blessing. How can God use you to bless others? How does he want to use you? Are you generous enough to let him bless others through you? Look at one more scripture. It's from 2 Corinthians 9. You will be blessed in every way and you will be able to keep on being generous. Then many people will thank God when we deliver your gift. God will keep blessing you so that you can keep being generous to others. And when you are, people aren't going to thank you. They shouldn't. They're going to thank God. He will get the credit. He will get the glory. Let me close with a story from the book, Choosing Gratitude. Let me read it to you. A church group from North Carolina had traveled to the Caribbean on a mission trip. As you probably know, the conditions at the posh luxury resorts are a far cry from the impoverished way of life endured by many others on these tropical islands. During this particular ministry trip, their host took them to visit a leper colony on the island of Trabago. And while there, they held a worship service in the campus chapel. As you can imagine, the sight of emaciated lepers filling into the seats on the bare pews bore deeply into the minds and memories of each visitor to this unaccustomed scene. But no memory left its mark like this one. When the pastor announced, we have time for one more hymn, does anyone have a favorite? He noticed a lone patient seated awkwardly on the back row facing away from the front. At this final call for hymn requests, with great effort, the woman slowly turned her body in the pastor's direction. Body would perhaps be a generous description of what remained of her. No nose, no lips, just bare teeth askew within a chalky, a chalky skull. She raised her bony nub of an arm to see if she might be called on to appeal uh, for her favorite song to be sung. Her teeth moved to the croaky rhythm of her voice as she said, could we sing Count Your Many Blessings? The pastor stumbled out of the pulpit, out the door and into the adjoining yard, tears of holy conviction raining down his face. One of the traveling party rushed to fill his place, beginning to sing the familiar song in this unfamiliar place, arguably the most unblessed of any spot on the universe. A friend hustled outside, put his arm around the sobbing pastor, and consolingly said, I'll bet you'll never be able to sing that song again, will you? 
yeah, I'll sing it, the pastor answered, but never the same way, never again. May we become grateful people, grateful enough to see our blessings, to be generous as we bless others with time and with skills and with money that God has entrusted to us. May we go beyond the minimum, making a difference for Jesus. Let's become grateful people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes the conviction is just overwhelming. So many times we have commented on what was wrong, what was bad, what we would do better. We've overlooked the blessings. We've overlooked the things we should be grateful for. And Father, we have so much. Forgive us. Forgive us for thinking we don't have enough, for thinking that we need better or newer. Forgive us, Father, for the times when we've been negative and critical and dissatisfied and harsh. And Father, would you just make us grateful people? Father, would you make us grateful enough to be generous, to be a blessing to other people? Father, would you help us to say yes more than we say no, to go beyond the minimum? Father, would you help us to remember that everything that we have is yours, that we are simply caretakers. And then, Father, use us to be generous on your behalf and grateful enough to enjoy it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.